All right, welcome everybody to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Craig. I'm going to be your host, and this is a fantastic conversation featuring Boo Lamb. Boo is the community evangelist at F5 Dev Central. He's also a budding YouTuber, somebody who's taught me a lot about that side of the world and just a fantastic human who I really enjoyed knowing professionally and, and now being able to spend time on the podcast. So kind of really cool way in how we, we had been connected for a long time. You're going to enjoy the show. I know I certainly had a really, really great time. Plus he unpacks some of what he does uh, in his equipment and, and really just approaching the technology community side and his own personal history that brought him there. Super cool. So you're, you're really going to dig this one. And I do have to, of course, give a big thanks and a shout out to the folks that do make this podcast possible, including the amazing folks over at Veeam Software. And I say this because, hey, it's that time of year. You're doing your taxes and uh, you're probably thinking, am I protected? Well, make sure you're protected in every side of your world, including your data protection. Everything you need to cover your data center assets, your cloud assets, your SaaS assets. I guess they're SaaSets. Yeah. Anyways, you wanted to check it out, go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. It's that simple. And you can check out everything they've got, whether it's physical servers, cloud servers, even cloud native stuff. Hey, just because you got it running on Kubernetes doesn't mean it's safe. There's a lot of persistent cloud native applications out there, as there should be. All right. Uh, go check it out. So again, go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and you can see what they've got to offer. I stand behind it because I, I legitimately use the platform and, and really, it's truly saved my backside a bunch of times. Oh, of course, while you're saving your assets, make sure you enjoy a, just an absolutely stunning, devilishly good cup of coffee that you can get from the very own diabolicalcoffee.com. Uh, we got some really cool things. We got some shirts, we got mugs, we got fantastic coffee. And of course, we've got just building small business. I definitely recommend it. I'm also the co-owner, so hey, let's be honest. I gotta do full transparency there. Uh, speaking of full transparency, let's get right to the transparent goodness. This is Boo Lamb from the Disco Posse Podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Boo. I'm a community evangelist with F5 Dev Central, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. Fun part, Boo. I've I've been taking in your content for a while, so it is a true honor and a pleasure to share a microphone with you for a podcast because we have a fun, you know, history, you know, personal history that you know we, thanks to the LinkedIn world, stayed connected, and I suddenly started seeing some really neat, dynamic, good video stuff coming up in my feed. And more and more, I saw kind of what you were doing. I then saw you doing videos about what you're doing. And those videos got better and better and better. And I was like, Boo is on something. This is it. Like, this is, <laughs> I, I love your progression to what you've been doing. And I thank you. I, 
it it's cool. So I'm super happy to, you know, let, we're, we're going to nerd out a bit on tech, which is natural for us to, to do. But I'm also excited about what you and the F5 team are doing. So for folks that are new to you, if you don't mind, give a quick bio and an introduction uh, about what you're doing with F5. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, first of all, I, I got to say thanks for having me on because I've been watching your content as well. And, you know, it's been really cool to see uh, somebody deliver this type of content in this level of quality for such a long time as well. I think a lot of folks, you know, I don't I don't call myself that unique right now, although maybe I am a little bit, but there's a lot of people putting out really good quality content now. But dating back a couple of years, you know, you've been doing this for a while now and putting out great quality content. So I'm honored to be here. Um, if I were to dial it back, maybe our history, I used to work at a reseller here in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I was a network security consultant there. And at that reseller, I uh, met a younger uh, Eric Wright, who was a really <laughs> bright guy. Um, and, uh, and we got to uh, look at a, a few things with your organization and that was way back in the late 2000s at, yeah. at that point and uh, early part of my career. So, you know, I, I finished school around 20, uh, 2004, 2005 and got my first job uh, in IT at that point. Uh, I learned a bunch of stuff, but that company ended up getting bought out by an even bigger company. Um, and then I moved on to do uh, the whole consulting thing through a reseller. So I was doing that for a number of years. I was always in the network security space. And then in 2011, I moved uh, to F5, which is where I am now. And my story at F5 is a pretty basic, actually. I started as a sales engineer. And up until last year, I was a sales engineer for 10 years, working with the same sales rep, covering the same territory, almost exactly the same territory throughout those years with a, with a couple spots of uh, covering for um, turnover here and there for other territories as well. But I did that job for for 10 years covering F5 products, talking to uh, a number of folks um, within British Columbia uh, about F5 products. And uh, yeah, just last year moved over to the Dev Central team, which is F5's user community, which is really important to F5. We dedicate uh, a number of folks uh, to working on building that community relationship with everybody. And as part of that, uh, we've been doing a lot of live streaming and video work. But I was actually doing that prior to joining the team, and I was doing that for my customers. And I was doing that because of the pandemic. Everybody was at home, and I was like, okay, well, I got to keep engaged with my, with my uh, territory. And so we couldn't have user groups anymore. We actually, at the start of the pandemic, had to cancel our user groups. So I was like, okay, well, let's just do some of this stuff on video. And then, yeah, like you said, started making videos. And I, and I look back at my YouTube channel that I had started at that time. And I thought they were okay videos at the time. Now I look back, I'm like cringing. But <laughs> it progressed over time. You keep putting out content, it gets better. And then eventually, it, you know, this, this role with the Dev Central community, uh, they had a headcount open after uh, there was a bit of a shuffle there. And I was able to join the team and kind of do this at a at a level for um, the broader F5, just to to help out with uh, with these efforts here. So that that's my background. If that's enough info for you, yeah, that's awesome. And and it's funny that you know the progression to evangelists. Like when I 
I got, I started cheated the system when I came to, to then VM Turbo and, and became Turbonomic. I was working out on the West Coast uh, for, you know, for a few years. I moved back to Toronto, still working for the same firm. And, uh, but I was blogging. And then through that piece of it, that was kind of the, that first layer of like me just finding a problem, sharing a problem, similar to what you're doing now with like that conversion of user group to a video format. And then it, in doing that, you're like, oh, what if I just did more than just like, wait till I bumped into a problem to write about the problem and the solution. So I then started proactively building content and proactively reviewing stuff and getting involved. And next, you know, you find yourself at an event and you're sitting at a blogger table and you're thinking about it more purposefully. And from there, then when I got the gig at, at Turbo, it was very, I got hired as the evangelist. And at the time that was kind of a, that, you know, now they call it developer advocacy or whatever, right? Like we, it, the idea was being not in sales, not in marketing, sort of spanning both the understanding of it, but really being in the customer's world, in the seat of the consumer of your product and having that honest outside voice to bring into it. So that's yeah. really what I was lucky enough to have that background in, in my blog. And it led me to that, that first gig again. So let's map to what you're doing and why I really dig the way you do this, Boo, is that You've always got the mind of the consumer, the user, like you've always been very human centric in your approach to technology and your storytelling is really great. So this makes it easy to take in and you've, you've just, you've got a great delivery. So it's, it's a surprisingly rare thing to have both a creative mind and ability as well as a strong technical capability it is sort of a unicorn you know type of personality <laughs> it's, it, which is good and i'm glad that you're you know finding a really great home in in your role at f5 because it's it's deserved because you you've got a lot to bring and it's a it's tough to find those gigs sometimes that like give you that freedom to be creative but also you know you got to really get deep into the tech sometimes did it well it is funny that you use the word unicorn my boss <clears throat> would say that he has a team of unicorns and we're finding that out now because there's an open headcount on our team we've got a couple folks that are lined up and and looks look like we'll we'll hopefully have someone pretty quick here but yeah to find somebody who wants to jump in technically um who is somebody who cares for community that's a huge part of it like really understanding the the needs of others and being there to serve as opposed to trying to serve yourself. And then also be someone who's willing to jump in front of the camera at a moment's notice and just be, be out there for everybody or somebody who can write and somebody who can produce videos as well. Like this, um, yeah, it, it, when I, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, I, I'm just kind of adding little bits and pieces onto my existing role. But now that we're actually looking for that role, I'm like, oh, my goodness, how are we going to find this person? Like, that, how, <laughs> yeah. how many of these people exist? Because I, I thought there was a whole bunch of me, but turns out there wasn't. You've broken the mold, right? And, and, and it's <laughs> funny that I think even in today, like literally today, compared to what it was even two years ago, especially like pre-pandemic, the 
like YouTuber was a pejorative. Like it was just mm. like, oh, you want to be a YouTuber? Like, what does that even mean? You know, now you say YouTuber and everybody can name multimillionaire yeah. personalities. They may still kind of dislike that it exists, but they know it. It's more, more name brand, right? When I was at, you know, back when we met, right, I remembered seeing this video of a guy who was someone with a camera was filming him and he was going around and, and taking a bicycle and he was stealing bicycles in New York city. And every one he would do it would start by like getting on a bike and then just riding in a way and watching the reaction of people around it. And there's no reaction, right? Then he would get on one and he would like mess with the lock and then ride away. No reaction. There was one where there was like a, a cop standing right beside it. And then there was, he was sitting there like with a hacksaw, sawing uh -huh. through this lock and then somebody came over and like the caption was oh finally someone's going to call me out but instead the guy didn't call him out he's like you know what you should do you should be cutting the chain not the lock the chain's <laughs> easier to cut yeah, and yeah. so the guy basically held it for him while he cut it then he got on the bike and rode away well that was casey neistat that's hilarious. And so it was like filmed on goodness knows what like super early stage camera was, but he had, you know, he was doing these, you know, viral YouTube films before YouTube was even a thing. Like it was a brand new platform. And now I look years later and, you know, people are going to the that's Casey Neistat nice film class right now, which is a brand new thing that's offered through monthly stuff like that. And that influence yeah. now, it's there. Like we've got so much around us that has upped the game where if I don't do a video that feels like it should go on YouTube and get paid for, I, I feel like I'm I'm letting myself down. <laughs> well, the, the hilarious thing is like quite literally two, two and a half years ago at this point, I've told my kids, YouTube is not a career. Don't get your <laughs> hopes up that you are going to be on YouTube and actually make money doing this. That's like a one in a billion shot to, to do anything like that. Lo and behold, you know, pandemic hits. I'm on video all the time now and have pretty much set up a YouTube studio in my office. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm eating crow at this point. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I will, I will always admit when I'm wrong, uh, even to my kids, especially to my kids. And so lesson learned, um, you know, they, they saw the future before I did. Well, I think the good lesson that we get out of it too, and I, I even tried it to like, I understand why when you say like a, a, they've surveyed kids and like primary elementary school kids and the top jobs used to be like doctor, fireman, whatever. Right. And then now the top job in almost every country they pulled in was YouTuber. <laughs> but just like saying doctor, it's no different. They see somebody that has a great earning potential that has a great like that's why people mm -hmm. became when you're a kid, and you want to be a doctor It's because you think a doctor makes a bunch of money and they drive nice cars, not because they're healing humans. Right. It's really more about the importance of the job. So a YouTuber to that kid is an important thing. It has financial benefits, never realizing that mm -hmm. to get there is a grind. And it's a it's absolutely a, there's no. Even if you get a viral, if I got one video that went to a million views, the next video would go to a thousand, right? It's not, yeah. <laughs> nothing is guaranteed. You're, you've got to grind it out for years and years. Even this podcast, or this, this will be you know, like a 216th episode. Like that's, a, that's 216 weeks of content. 
and I feel like I'm just figuring it out. <laughs> your your persistence is amazing to me to just keep push, pushing out content, especially like, you know, for us in a similar space, looking for tech content, which isn't, I'll admit, it's not always the most interesting thing to yeah. to us. It's interesting and, and you know, that's, that's why we do it. But to an audience, like I think from an audience eye, how do I keep this interesting for them? How do I make this, you know, maybe something hasn't come out in weeks and nothing new, like hot and shiny is, is out there to talk about. How do I keep putting out something um, that will interest them? And for you to do it for 216 weeks in a row is uh, very commendable. There was a there was a gap in the middle where I wasn't sure it was going to happen. <laughs> there was definitely <laughs> somewhere around, I think, that's why I always, everybody I know, I got a lot of fantastic friends who are our peers in the industry, right? And, and everybody had a podcast. And then about episode 11 to 15, the wheels come off the bus. Because it's like easy to just grab your friends. We all have the same friends. So we all get on each other's podcast. You know, it's like, like having a, a party. But it at some point, you have to actually seek out the subject. You have to seek out something new and be curious about it in that process. And, it, and that was a really, the differentiating thing was my sort of blind willingness to keep on pushing when there's no listeners and no <laughs> feedback. And, but I think just like you, what we start to do is you translate what you do in true human interaction and learn to do it with a camera where, you know, even this, like I'm, I'm actually looking into a lens. I've learned how to do this instead of mm -hmm. looking down the screen so that you see the top of my forehead and me eyes pointing down i have to learn to engage the camera and so i do it for demos and i started doing live streams and your stuff is fantastic i love your streams because it's a different pace it's a different cadence but you keep the energy level like it flows it's not just as you can see we're going to go through you click on <laughs> here you hit f5 and like you really have myself a way off. Of, yeah it's like <laughs> create content that you would like to sit down and watch is i mean maybe it sounds too just like easy to say that but that really is my approach to it and and again like to your credit you've 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 nailed that and uh, heck i learn from you on on a daily basis these days oh thanks i mean i you know one of the things i do too is think about the why like why you know why did i start this or why do i keep doing this and and my why at the start of the pandemic was um and may, maybe it wasn't true but i thought you know what my customers they're missing out on their user group which was a, always a great time like we would get as many people together we'd sit down in a restaurant and that was actually like a safe time for the customers. Like we'd be in meetings with customers and, and yeah, we have a point to that meeting. We're usually either catching up and then showing them our latest wares and, and you know, seeing what they want to do. But the user group was like, oh, you've already bought the stuff. Like I don't need to sell you anything now. So I get to talk yeah. to you um, in a safe place and say, okay, here's the stuff, the stuff that you bought. Here's all the cool things that other people are doing with it. Let's chat about that. And then, um, you know, hopefully that strengthens our relationship. And so that cancels and we, and we don't have that anymore. And so I'm like, you know, maybe I won't go as far to say maybe they miss me, but, you know, maybe maybe we're missing this interaction now. So how do we still maintain that interaction? So I always thought about that every week, like um, or my Monday morning ones when I was when I was doing it in territory, they were always like um, 
10 minutes of actually talking about F5 stuff, maybe five minutes of talking about F5 stuff, maybe zero minutes of talking about F5 stuff. And otherwise it was like me and Daryl catching up on our weekends because that's usually something that we would do actually every Monday morning. We just kind of chat about how our weekends went. So we chat about our weekends. We'd usually have a guest on, chat about what they're up to. And then we'd actually just bring up current events and they might be technology related, but not necessarily F5 related. And it was just like chat with folks. And we just kept doing doing that and it's just trying to stay connected with folks and kind of left the left the business stuff to like actual meetings but that yeah. that kept me going for a while i think the the really good thing especially when we look at that advocacy role and and evangelism role it's genuinely about being a peer to the people who are using products, listening to them and giving them a like kind of, like you said, a safe place where they can share ups and downs. And quite often you'd have like two peers in our group who would be like, ah, we're we've got this weird thing we're trying to do. We've got like a multi-site configuration and I've got this weird edge site and I don't know what to do. They're like, oh yeah, we've we had the same thing. We've got one place that's up, you know, we we've got, you know, one remote site that's way out of the way. And this is the the gear we use, this is our configuration. And you're like, oh, holy moly, like they're they're educating each other through real experience. And that's so much more genuine than you know, even a, a read the manual or even a blog sometimes, because quite often, like we have to create scenarios that will let us tell a story. And, you know, I do my best to try and always make sure it's a realistic scenario. But every once in a while, you're talking about a feature that no one's actually used in real life. And <laughs> you're trying to be, this is a really cool thing we can do, you know, and yeah. no one's done, done it, but please tell us if it works. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it so you can do it. <laughs> It's like I always say, you know, show me, show me a successful spanning tree implementation and I'll show you a network that went down on the weekend <laughs> because <laughs> it never goes right Very the first cool, time. Yeah. I, it's always the second run that that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, one of the recent things I did was document uh, building my Intel NUC ESX server and it has nothing to do with F5 stuff. But I'm like, hey, you know, somebody's going to do this at home. My scenario was that I have this old lab gear 10 years old now at this point, four U's worth of lab gear that is super loud, consuming so much power, I'm sure. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got to consolidate this down. Took six months to get an Intel NUC with the uh, chip shortages, supply chain issues and whatnot. So I got the thing. I'm like, okay, I could install this in like an hour and be done. Or I could spend a week documenting this whole thing and putting together all the steps and doing a write-up and stuff and like it's going to benefit the community it's not part of f5 but it's going to benefit the community so i'm going to do that and luckily like my boss gives us the freedom to say you know what if it's going to benefit the users then just do it it doesn't have to be about f5 stuff necessarily you know if it if it's going to help them it'll help us eventually so um yeah that's been fun that's a good as a management team, that's a really good insight into the value that you can bring by sharing non-product knowledge. Because really what you're creating is, you know, we always talk about this, like the trusted advisor, which is what's such a loaded overuse. It's like saying you're customer centric. Of course you're customer centric. <laughs> Everybody's customer centric. What does it even mean? Too. Yeah. <laughs> but like this idea of the trusted advisor, if all you do is go in and pitch the current 
availability of the product and the features that you've got coming up, that's not that's not really what you're doing. By creating a listening space, by creating a collaborative you know, relationship where you talk about things that are not related to your products, then what happens is they get that buildup of trust and they're like, yeah, Boo helped me out with this other thing. It was like, that was really cool. Right? I mean, I can't, dozens of times, it probably hundreds at this point, I've ended up talking with people about like weird VMware configurations and OpenStack stuff and all these like completely non-product things. But then when it suddenly comes up and they're like, oh, actually I got a quick question about your product. And now they're free to ask they're directing the conversation and they trust my answer because they know I actually kind of know what I'm doing. I ran a real environment. So they they build up that trust with you. And same thing for your side, right? You design yeah. stuff at scale. And they don't see that sometimes when you just come in, you're like, oh yeah, I'm an SE for, for F5. You're like, but I've got 10 years designing at scale systems. You know, uh, it, it you don't always get a chance to share that story, but when you do, then they're like, like, oh, yeah, Boo is pretty cool. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know, one thing I think about, too, is I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of friends in technology like my my personal personal friends before I uh, get, ever got into IT. I have like one friend. Well, I mean, I used to work with him, so that's how we were connected through technology. But otherwise, I don't have friends in the IT space. And so and working at a vendor, um, everybody is your for a sales engineer, everybody's your customer too. And so yeah. my technology friends actually end up being, um, they're formed through my customer relationships. And many of my uh, previous customers uh, from before are actually, you know, I have a whole bunch of them that are actually personal friends now. Um, but I think about it that way too. I'm like, you know, these people, are, I'm building these relationships with, I don't want to make them empty relationships. And I don't have technology friends outside of work. So I'm going to make technology friends through all the people I get to connect with uh, now. So that's been a really cool part of uh, community. When you've got really cool stuff, so you you and the team just came off of F5 Velocity, right? I, I make sure I do nothing worse than when somebody <laughs> miss says the name. Uh, and it was like announcements galore, which is like my favorite time of year, right? It's like you come off yeah. of company kickoff and then you've got lots of product and, and community announcements. So you must be in like relieved now. You probably had the last 12 weeks were loaded with prep work and 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 stuff. How, how does it feel now to be on the other side of that? Uh, it's a breath of fresh air. It's um, more than more than twelve weeks. Like we made this acquisition of a company called Volterra uh, just over a year ago at this point. And with F five, we often uh, historically, when we make an acquisition, we're a little bit quiet about it up front because we try to get a lot of integration stuff done first before we give something to present something to a customer. And part of, I think part of that reason is because F5 has been such a solid brand for what our foundational business is. We're, we're known for uptime and reliability. And so for us to take in a company and just shoot it out the door and say, Hey, you, you know, you guys start using this stuff. You know, we gotta, we gotta slow things down a little bit because people trust us and we can't break that trust. And so for months and months and months now, there's a bunch of stuff that's being worked on uh, that I knew about that I've been testing, um, you know, helping uh, 
getting trained up on it and whatnot. And so all of this is sitting under your hat for, for months and you can't wait to tell people about it. And so, yeah, when, when, uh, the 15th came around and all the press releases came out and all the stuff that now that I, I report into marketing now, even though I don't consider myself uh, a marketer, but, um, you know, all so many people on our broader marketing team were working really hard on getting everything ready. And then to just kind of see 8 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m., just everything just drop. And it was kind of go, go, go as far as all the news and announcements. It was just like, yeah. Oh, this is awesome. It's out there now. Now I get to talk about it. Like the real work actually begins now. All this prep work happened. Now all the real work begins. But um, yeah, it's been really exciting to drop new products. That Volterra stuff has become F5 distributed cloud. And so we're able to kind of venture off into a new space for F5 where we were tra traditionally either in a data center or in a cloud data center. And now we can actually run compute in our data centers now that are spread out around the world. We can uh, take those resources and we can run what's called a customer edge and we can run that into whatever their data centers might be or an Intel NUC, uh, if you will. And then oh, kind wow. of the first uh, platform uh, that we've got or the first service on that platform is a, a WAP service, which is a web application API protection, kind of the evolution of a WAF service. Uh, so that came out as well, which F5 has always had a strong pedigree uh, in that space. And to, so to deliver this on the new platform, tons of, of really great stuff that we're able to share with everybody. And then on top of that, being part of the community team, when I joined the community team, the biggest thing that we were working on was actually a new community platform as well. And we moved on to um, kind of a best in breed community platform where everybody can get great, rich interaction on there. And that was just consuming a lot of our time as well. Mainly my coworker Leaf was just uh, heads down banging away at that and, and he got it done in a, in a big way and really delivered on a, a fantastic platform. And so that was being announced this week as well, which is which was a big uh, relief for us to get to share that as well. So yeah, this week was a lot of stuff just coming to a head. Um, and on top of that, getting to interact with our customers because we had a you know, it was a virtual event, but we created lots of ways for customers to still get peer-to-peer um, -peer and also kind of casual interaction with uh, with F5 folks as well. Oh, and nice. so we were doing a lot of that, office hours and whatnot. Um, and yeah, it's been it's Friday now. Everything was kind of kind of buttoned up yesterday, and uh, yeah, we're we're all pretty relieved. But yeah, now the the real work begins now. And it. Two things that are important. Number one, I always laugh at the, the joys of choosing like acronyms that are going to line up. And whenever I think of like web API protection, like Cardi B wrecked that acronym for, for us. So, it's pretty <laughs> so bad. we got to like, we got to, you know, there's so many acronyms that we end up having to toss around, but functionally, like it's, it's really, really slick what, what you're doing. And the idea of like edge implementations, you know, again, a, a, sometimes an overloaded phrase when we talk about edge, but we're seeing real implementations where real compute power that's moving into that edge tier mm. and it's finally accessible and it's common, you know, as far as deployment patterns, it's no longer the experimental big places with these massive diverse networks. So you can see like every day, mid-market, even SMBs have the opportunity to use this stuff and it's, easily accessible versus 
it seemed experimental probably not too many years ago. Yeah, I mean, you're probably seeing a lot of this as well. And especially if, you know, if, uh, I don't know how much you're you're part of the IBM side of, of IBM and, and the Red Hat side of IBM, but like a OpenShift, Kubernetes, like those types of workloads now have enabled this huge expansion into those types of architectures now. So it's really cool to see. It's like, even in that respect, all those architectures kind of came to a head. They kind of have met at this point now where we have modern application architecture and we have edge infrastructure architectures. And now we, you know, we're going to see the value of that uh, over the next few years. For sure. Yeah. Well, it was funny because, you know, I remember VMware, you know, a couple of years ago, they started to talk about the, the obviously we've got, you know, vSphere on NUC. So like micro PC implementations and, it was always sort of seemingly limited because of memory limitations on the hardware stack and the massive footprint that a traditional little VMware, you know, data center, virtual data center would run. And then they talked about moving it down to a Raspberry Pi. And there was this weird moment where I saw the split in people who saw the future versus people who were thinking, I've been a VMware admin for a long time, where they said, what kind of a VM can you run? on a Raspberry Pi because there's not enough memory to run a good size VM. Like that's because there won't be VMs in this world, but what they're showing is that the underlay that they can manage, right? And that's what Red Hat does with, with satellites, you know? So it's like, just poke these endpoints all over the place. They run Kubernetes, they run OpenShift and then just use satellite to manage them all. Very simple, lightweight phone home stuff, but you know, now you can run it. You know, we used to joke about, oh, you're going to run an OS on a router. Like, no, you're not. OSs are huge. <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. What's, yeah. It's uh, super neat to see. What's the, what's the thing that kind of really made you jump up when you saw it coming that you, you know, now can share? Obviously, the community platform is huge because the interactivity is neat. But on on the product side, is there something where you just kind of want to take every customer and said, you got to check this out? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, especially the, definitely for the web application API protection stuff is that, you know, I, I don't expect you to have uh, configured an F5 WAF before, but let's just say it is... Um, sometimes you have to go through a bit of training in order to get everything kind of dialed in properly on that. And, and uh, credit to my customers before, like I had so many customers who put in the effort to do that, to learn the platform and to get really good at configuring their, their WAF and did it well, but it was an investment in time to go learn what all the buttons and knobs were to be able to turn on the different protections to tune it for their applications to work with the application teams to actually learn uh, or get a swagger file get all the apis if the application team even documented or created swagger That's files right. <laughs> um, in the first place and so all that all that work is like um we're you know we're not nobody's going to be out of a job but your job is going to become a whole lot easier in in operationally and it's going to become more strategic than it is operational now uh you know waf admins are going to move to something like this and be able to spend their time focused on you know do i have all the policies in place now that i've gotten now that i've got protection up front that i can configure really quickly now let's spread that out now let's get more applications under this because it's easy to do 
Everybody can trust it. It's easy to architect into the application. Uh, it's all automatable, so we can make it part of the CI/CD pipeline now so that the application developers aren't kind of reacting you know, after something's been deployed. Maybe they can start testing this out behind there uh, during a development phase. So yeah, I'm really excited to see this just move at such a greater pace than it was before. Sometimes we would sell a WAF to a customer and we'd revisit in six months and they'd have, maybe they'd have it enabled, but not in <laughs> blocking mode. Maybe a yeah. year later, they'd have it in blocking mode. Like, yeah, now now people are going to be that much further along uh, in that journey. Well, and it's it's interesting because how do you develop a user experience flow when there's very few users who are ready for that type of implementation? So to the credit of the team, right? It's like getting out there, spending the effort, you know, letting people try it out, learning from how they're using it. It's often that whole thing of, you know, customers don't ask you how your product works. They tell you how your product works. You, I've got engineers all the time and, and they'll say like, I don't understand, like no one's using this. Like if you put in, you know, analytics on the platform, they're like, I don't understand why they don't use this, this flow or the screen or this wizard. I'm like, cause that's not how they use the product. Ask them how they use the product. And then they go, oh, okay. So the wizard should emulate the active implementation, not how you believe the product should be consumed. And it's, it's tough, especially with the complexity of, you know, doing that kind of API interactivity. Or like you said, on the back end, sometimes the developers don't even think about you know, self-documenting yeah. APIs. <laughs> if it isn't self-documenting, it isn't getting made. Right. right. Those Thank were my favorite meetings too, was to bring a product manager um, out to speak with customers. And it was awesome because we could put the product manager in front of the customer. You like, see, that's what they're saying. Like that, you know, I'm not just parroting uh, lies to you. Like they're actually saying that they, they use it in this way. So hopefully this kind of helps and it has all every single time it's always able to help shape the product. So for any, um, folks out there who has a vendor who wants to bring a product manager to come see you, please take those meetings, uh, you know, for, uh, for the benefit of your product, because that shapes you know, how the product uh, comes out. If you, if you think organizationally, the one thing I wish we had was like, so as a, as an SE, you were, you know, a quota carrying, you know, person for the company. So you've got different commitments. You obviously like there's greater upside opportunity, you know, in doing that. You also, you're, you're better at it in that you were really thinking true customer value and, and customer relationship. But some people don't, they just think I got to nail my quota this quarter. <laughs> but yeah. then on the, on the back end, so in the developer advocacy and in the product management, there's no quota attached, but I almost think like a customer meeting should be, we should have quotas of true customer interactions as part of it to make sure that you're out there and listening and learning. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing to try to measure actually that's something that we have been discussing internally is like how how do you measure the effectiveness of of community and there have been attempts at doing that um one one company that we work with has a has a metric that takes in a, a whole bunch of stuff off of our platform to give us an idea but that's just based off of off of the platform really uh for me when i was a sales engineer for 10 years 
we always looked at it from a long-term perspective. Like you see sales reps and NSEs that kind of bounce around different gigs. Um, yeah. You know, maybe they spend two years here, three years here, and they, they go from place to place. We were never like that. Like for us, yes, we, we have a, a quota and we're trying to make commission, but at the same time, I will 100% 10 out of 10 times, I will value a customer relationship and my reputation and my brand over what F5 is trying to sell. Like if there's something that is going to damage my relationship with that customer, um, it's not worth it for me because I'd have to look them in the face and say, you know what, that product that, um, that, that you bought there, you know, we sold it to you because there was some sort of uh, bonus or something for selling that. Like it's, it's, it feels terrible to to do something like that and i know you know i'm not saying that um every vendor out there um is slimy and is going to do stuff like that there's lots of great folks that have great reputations just like just like we did as well but there are a couple out there that are going to you know try to do things that only benefit them and that's just that's just not the best way to do business in my opinion yeah for sure and especially coming from the consumer side like i i had a very different lens when it came to going to my team and saying like hey this is how you should approach the situation and i would sit on on sales calls and it was funny like you mentioned that my my favorite phrase that i used a lot earlier is like hey look i'm not in marketing you know i was i was working for the marketing team but my easy yeah. one on the calls was always like hey i'm not in sales like if you buy this if you buy $8 million worth of this, I get exactly the same paycheck next month. So yep. I'm not vested in the success of and I want the company to do well, but like my goal is to make sure you're having a good, you know, experience and you're actually getting value out of what we're doing. So it gives them a bit of a disarming thing where they say like, oh, okay. So if Eric's saying something, he most likely is genuine in his belief in it versus, yeah, I got a spiff that's, you know, making sure that I can buy my kids an extra, you know, motorized car this quarter because yeah. I, <laughs> I got a bonus. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice to be out of that space uh, at this point. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we weren't always out there just trying to uh, make our quota and, uh, and sell the spiffs. But at the same time, you have this, this, this number that is very daunting every quarter to, uh, to hit. And so, yeah. uh, so yeah, moving on to, to not having that number, um, has been, has been nice and truly get to say, you know what, we're just here to, to interact with the community and, and, uh, tell you about, you know, things that you can do with your product and, and help you out. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it, I have an incredible respect for folks that do have to, as they call it, carry a bag, right. That actually are quota carrying reps and, and sales engineers and systems engineers and, you know, whatever the whatever the title is, the responsibility is to carefully land the line between customer happiness and you know family and and wealth uh, happiness at the same time. So I I've always said like I enjoy being on a call when it goes well and it turns into a deal, but boy do I ever not want the responsibility to create that. It's a it's a big difference. Versus just being there when it happens, oh, yeah. versus actually creating that business—it's uh, it's a huge responsibility. Well, you know, and and one more thing to add to that is also shareholder um, uh, right. expectations as well. And so, you know, I think about it this way: like every every quarter, uh, our, our numbers get reported, 
that revenue number like that directly maps to the number that I brought in for the, I would bring in for the company as well. So you almost, you know, you're also serving the shareholders, which in a roundabout way, you know, if you're investing in your, your uh, 401k or your RSPs and you may, you probably have an index, you're probably investing in tech companies anyways. And yeah. so there's this weird loop of like, Hey, I have a, you know, I have an interest in, um, in your company doing well as well, just kind of indirectly because my retirement is actually based on tech stocks. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is funny, especially that that responsibility too, especially at the company layer, because you know you hit a great number, you have a great year, or a great quarter. Well, guess what happens to that number next quarter? Right, it goes up, and it never. <laughs> the, the, there's never a quota where you're like, you know what, you did four million last year. Why don't you do three and a half this year? You know, why don't you just dial it back? No, it's always break, like break. always four and a half, five million, like whatever you do, like let's and there's then there's the stretch goal. And like it's uh it's a it's a there's a mentality and a capability that's attached to that role that and that personality. It's like in remember when there was like a real estate boom. I worked uh in an insurance, I worked in tech at an insurance company, and a bunch of my help desk reps all left literally like five out of 15 help desk reps all quit because they took that like three week, get your real estate license course. Well, this okay. was in like 99. All you had to do was get someone to say, Hey, I'll let you represent me. By the time you're signing the ink on the MLS, it was sold. Like you, yeah. they didn't have to market. They didn't have to advertise. They didn't have to hold an open house. Houses sold themselves. So everybody got into real estate. And then in 2001, they were all going, hey, you guys still need any help desk people? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they realized they weren't sales people. They were just standing beside the sale, really, in the end. A little bit like that now. Yeah, yeah. Things are well, especially, goodness gracious, BC, Vancouver. I remember buying, so I, I bought a condo in October of 2008, which everybody would tell you was the dumbest thing you could ever have done. But I was lucky in that I worked in a financial services firm and I had a pretty good insight into how I believed we were at the bottom. And I was both knowledgeable and lucky and it worked out to be right. But real estate in the Vancouver area especially is, is punitively expensive. So I the prices were coming down and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna lock this one in. And I hope it stays, and it stayed flat for quite yeah. a while. But then it it did go back up, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's wild times here. And uh, well, because you're you're surrounded by water, mountains, you know, yeah. bears, uh, and and just pure unusable real estate. So there's there's nowhere to go but vertical or into the mountains, and it's uh. It's really amazing to think there's no wonder the prices are going up because there's there's no choice. Although now they've got this thing about the the foreign real estate tax and like occupancy limitations. So I think that like traditionally, uh, you know, uh, there's a strong amount of outside investment that was coming in into Vancouver, especially downtown. That all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, you're we're going to start charging you annual taxes because you're not living here then those investments started to dry up. Yeah. Although if you think about it, they were, you know, it's a safe spot for them to put their money. And if the city is going to charge you 2%, but the 
asset is rising 25% year on year, then you can have your 2%. I'll take the other. That's right. Go ahead and take it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the, the thing that, the other thing I said, when we talk about, I, Hey, I'm not in marketing. Right. And I remembered saying this to, we had done an event and I went to VM world and it was kind of like, this is my backyard. Right. I am, I'm surrounded by my nerd friends and I was a blogger. So it was like, People at one point, they asked me, like, are you from San Francisco? Because you know a lot of people here. I'm like, no, no, we're like carnies. We go from town to town. It's just the <laughs> VM world is my friends. Just so happens they're all here. But at no. one point, I remember talking to my chief marketing officer, and she was amazing. Uh, Gita was somebody who taught me so much. And I said something about how I get kind of trusted in these conversations, because I get to say like, hey, I'm not in marketing. And she's like, hey, easy. <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's not a bad thing. But to the to the technologist who's going to talk with me, they want to know I'm a fellow technologist. And it, even in her reaction reminded me, I'm like, oh, yeah, it is a, a weird thing when I work for marketing, but I'm not in marketing. And I, I learned very quickly kind of the respect of that knowledge that, that my team brought to what they do. And then I was really on that train, just helping in, in another area, but like that recognizing the skill of that marketing team, what they do, I started to dig in and community and stuff like this. So I'm curious, Boo, your experience as you made that transition, what was the your path to kind of getting familiar with what they do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I, I uh, still feel like I don't know what half of my, uh, my broader marketing team does and, and I'm slowly learning because I'll book, you know, 15 minutes, we can't meet in person. So I'll do a virtual coffee with them, uh, and just kind of get an idea of what they do. But it has been interesting that, in sales, we kind of expected, hey, a product comes out, there's all these materials and things that are all prepped for it. Oh, now I actually see how the sausage is made and yeah. see, I know the person that actually made that document that you use, that made that reference architecture, uh, that that shaped how the product is actually positioned in the market because it can do a whole bunch of stuff, but we want it to, you know, we think we have the best angle uh, if we kind of take this route. Uh, with the product. So it has been interesting to look at it from uh, this perspective. And I really appreciate that so many of my uh, broader teammates in marketing are really value my opinion on on lots of stuff as well when it comes to um, what the stuff is doing out in the out in the real world, if you will. And that has been that has been fun to be able to uh, contribute back to them, but also I kind of feel like you know I, I actually get to give back to my former teammates in the form of being their advocate and uh, and getting that that message across. There's lots of other people that do that as well. I'm not taking away from anybody. There's lots of people in marketing who are able to kind of feed in from that side, but right. I'm just an extra voice that's able to to put in uh, on that. Um, but it has been you know I've I've cleared up some some misconceptions on the marketing side as to what they think about sales and and on the sales side as well, cleared up some misconceptions of what they think about marketing. I would say there's, there's far more people that move from marketing to sales, it seems like, than from sales to uh, marketing. Um, and so, you know, I'm hopefully filling in uh, some of that gap there. But yeah, it's it's been quite a change 
to to uh, to have these these teammates. Well, and I've seen a I've I've talked to a few people and and coached a couple people who've made your similar transition. And like I said, there's a there's a financial impact. I mean, we don't want to say that's the reason we do what we do, but like it is a you are moving to a point where if you have a great year, it will look the same as if you have a moderate year. But in a, in a point where you have commission in addition to salary, you could get attached to a monstrous deal and you get a, a potentially life-changing level of, of income increase over time in those situations. And so to take that off the table a really strong, you know, somebody like you who could do and did do very well, obviously, like in the duration you sat in sales engineering for you to step back and say, Hey, like, I'm, I'm cool with this. You know, it, it shows how committed you are to that role. And it's not the money yeah. that kept you on either side. It's like, I just, I dig this company. I dig the customer experience. I want to bring those two things together. It's uh, <clears throat> I've got a big respect for being able to do that. Yeah, you know what? I've I've gotten into these. Uh, I I I was on another podcast uh, a few months back, actually, and I, we got into this conversation. And I I you know I'd been an SE for ten years, and we had many successful years. And I would give the advice to any SE: don't blow all your money. Invest your money <laughs> wisely. You know, if you if you happen to live in a place like Vancouver, invest in in real estate. That's what I did. And, um, you know, later on, when, you, when the time comes, you don't have to do things necessarily for the money and you can do things because you have a passion for it and want to pursue it. And hopefully, you know, I've seen folks who, who get their first gig as an SE and they go lease a big BMW right away because they've got some sort of uh, compensation plan for a vehicle or, or whatever it might be. And then, Hey, you know what, that lease is, uh, it's going to feel a lot longer than it, than, uh, than it is when you're when you're going through that, and if you have some pretty bad years, you're still stuck with that, uh, yeah. stuck with that car. So, yeah, that's my if if I can give any advice to an SE that might be listening to this is is uh, is yeah, don't blow all your paychecks. Yeah, don't don't let your lifestyle adjust to your your current income because things can can switch. Now, Absolutely. on the creator side. As I've learned too, whenever, when somebody starts to do something, it's generally they've dabbled, right? And the one thing I did discover once I saw your content you were doing on LinkedIn, and I, I really uh, I really liked the style you were doing, and I've seen the adaptation. It's funny, even some of your more recent, you know, have gone from, you know, a video to a vlog. You really have done the the story setting, you're doing J cuts, you're doing stuff that's very specific to a true filmmaker storytelling style. And then when I, I did a quick look, you know, a few months back, I was like, Oh, I, I've got to find the rest of your YouTube videos. I found another boo lamb channel <laughs> featuring a whole bunch of really cool stuff about cycling. And I was like, Oh, like, Boo's been at this for a while in this side of it. And now you're, you know, coming up on the other side. So what brought you to initially, you know, want to strap a camera on something and and then tell a story? <laughs> you know what? The funny thing is that if you kind of look back at the dates, I uh, so that my personal YouTube channel was actually I don't want to disappoint 
my my followers over on the personal channel but that was totally an experiment and you can kind of tell if you look at the the earliest videos on there i was trying to figure out you know what kind of stories can i tell on here and i uh i i hit a, a mountain biking or actually if folks want to uh, uh want to laugh uh, i made some videos about my air fryer i was pretty excited about my air fryer actually um the the gym i go to there's a, a bunch of folks who had picked up air fryers. It made meal prep super easy. So I was like, oh, I got to get an air fryer too. Got an air fryer. I was trying to think of, hey, what kind of video can I make to try to experiment with uh, uh, creating something? And I was like, oh, I just got this air fryer. I'll make a video about me air frying. And it hit really big on YouTube. And that's how I started to learn about the algorithm and uh, nailing in on on certain subjects and stuff, and kind of editing so that people don't get too bored on the on the videos as well. That didn't really that subject wasn't really of interest to me, so it didn't really last very long. I did one other one, and and that one did well as far as views went as well. Um, and then I transitioned to mountain biking. I just got a mountain bike, and my my both of my sons were getting into mountain biking as well. I was like, oh, I got some. I got this new bike, so let me make a video about a bike. It's about a product, so I can show, show that off. And then that video did really well. And so I did another video about my son's mountain bike. That bike, that video did really well. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just do these uh, these mountain bike videos. And so I just started doing them and then was able to incorporate story to them, um, looking at you know places that we're going with them and things that we're discovering because we're totally new to mountain biking. I have no place uh or you know no no way i should be calling myself a, a mountain bike influencer by any means however um it was just fun you know seeing people uh interact with me on there and kind of trust what i was saying when when i was actually just discovering things as i went uh, went along but um that that's the origin of that channel and trying to learn it and you'll actually notice like i got to a point where i hit my goal was you know what would it take to actually make a youtube channel that could make money and everything that i read was like oh it's going to take two years to do this you're going to have to make a video every week or two videos yeah. a week and then you're going to get to that point and i was like okay you know how let's just figure this out is, is it going to happen like that and then i kind of figured out okay if i make a video kind of like this a lot of people will watch it and that increases my subscriber base so i just like did it over and over and over again and you'll notice i kind of hit about a thousand subscribers and then it started to slow down because then i kind of hit my goal and then at that point i was like okay now i can take everything i learned and then just transition that to work and then That's start right. doing that from a, a work perspective um but before that i mean i would just tinker around with cameras and stuff um anyways not not full-blown cameras but just like my phone and then take a video of the kids but try to make it a little bit more interesting add some music to it nothing too crazy or anything like that. And the kids uh, enjoyed that. They, they like watching that. My kids would make videos as well. So that would be cool. I could just hand over footage to them. And, and, and my oldest really loves making videos. And so he can, um, he can work on that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it just kind of started from like home videos, documenting what the kids are doing. And then we have nice memories for, for family videos and then kind of progressing from there to, Hey, I'm, I'm making videos for my customers because we can't do a user group. So let's do that. And then kind of taking a, a bit of a, a detour and saying, okay, the YouTube thing could grow. So let's learn the YouTube stuff, algorithms and, and how to make videos on there. 
and then kind of come back to work and say, okay, I've learned all this stuff now. Now I can apply it to work and then, right. you know, work on uh, developing this for customers. Now, and this is the interesting thing of like, you generally have to take in a lot of knowledge. Like you're learning about the algorithm, you're watching other successful creators. Who did you kind of watch? Like what are, what's, what's in your subscription list as far as people that you watch regularly? You know what? It's like all people from Toronto. It's like uh, <laughs> Peter McKinnon, Maddie Hapoya, um, Chris Howe, Lizzie Pierce, um, guy that does all the camera reviews, Gerald Undone. Like those ones, I could I could fill with the stuff that they release. I could fill a week's worth of you know YouTube. Yeah, it's a, there's no shortage of content. It just by those creators alone, right? Yeah, yeah. Then there's a few other ones. There's a guy named Potato Jet who he I don't even watch his like camera videos anymore. He has like a vlog channel and he's just such a funny hyper guy. So I like I like just watching him. And then I like watching Casey Neistat. You mentioned Casey Neistat. I like watching him for like story composition and how he weaves things together in such a way that it just feels like he's just documenting what's happening. But you right. can tell, like from the shots that he sets up, you had to have set up that shot and thought about it and rehearsed it, or maybe not rehearsed it, but it's ready to go uh, to do that. So he's super clever, and I, I like watching that. And kind of now that I watch it from like the revenge from the lens of reverse engineering, it's interesting to see. Yeah, it was. I I think I forget which one it was. It was a one of the one of the videos he did, but two weeks ago or three weeks ago and i was like there's a man who's just watched a little nice stat like it was funny you had like the nice sort of like you know sort of like low beats intro and like you and it's funny like i said stuff that i've had to learn i had no idea what any of the stuff even means you know i just i i yeah. bought a camera and i'm an idiot so i purposefully bought a camera that's really like manual it's like i wanted to somehow make it hard on myself so that i would have to figure it out and I, I'm also a little bit different. So I thought, let me go. My wife has Nikon gear. Uh -huh. And so she has this hardened rule. She says, are you, uh, are you a photographer or do you have cannons? And so she <laughs> jokes all the time that she's like, no cannon allowed in our house. It's Nikon. We're a Nikon family. My father-in-law is a Nikon user. So I'm like, I wanted to get into videography though, not photography. And so like Nikon, all I read is about is overheating and maybe they don't do good 4K and a bunch of different stuff. So I thought it's basically Sony. And she says like, why don't you look, there's this other black magic is another option. And so yeah. I was like, Sony and black magic. I went out to a Twitter poll and I was like, hey, what should I do? And everybody was like, definitely go with the Sony. I was like, oh man, now I'm going to be <laughs> counterculture and get the, get the manual camera. So I went with a black magic pocket 4k. Uh, so pocket yeah. 4k, super fun, you know, great, but no stabilization. So that's kind of a drag, uh, no autofocus also kind of a drag, but like for the shots that I'm doing, I like, you know, manual pull focus. I like that kind of thing. If I were to get a second camera, I probably may add a Sony to the the group. You know, if I were to get a second one, just because it'd be fun to have a different style. But I really dig it. And then I got to thank you, Boo, because like I put out, I just put it out raw. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm like just messing with settings. I don't know what an ISO is. I don't know what any of the stuff is. 
So I just like dial in as what looks decent. And you'd, you'd, you poked a, a quick uh, comment into one of the videos like, hey, it looks like you're, you're like, are you recording in raw or whatever? And was, yeah, totally. That's what I'm doing. I've not, there's no LUTs, there's no post editing. I'm just like recording, publishing. And you reached out, you know, uh, we, we chatted on, on Twitter, uh, and said, I was like, and you offered you're like, Hey dude, let me, send me some, some material. I'd love to, to take a try at color correction. And that like spurred me to go, you know, he's right. I should learn this stuff. So I, <laughs> you know, took a little extra time and, and learned about color grading and still obviously no idea what I'm doing, but thanks to Great you, now. you know, it, it got better. And this is like, so I've learned how to add a LUT to the streaming camera. Cause that was the other problem I would do post-processing and it was fine. But the way the platform I use for the podcast, both of us are on here. So I can't apply a LUT to the video cause it would screw up your video. So right. I was still basically shooting raw half the screen. Um, so anyways, that's like, I, I went way deep for camera nerds on this one, but, uh, I talk about your gear. Cause I'd actually love to hear what kind of kit you're using. Yeah. My, uh, my kit is pretty, I'm, I'm staring at it right now. That's why I'm not looking at you, but my, uh, <laughs> I think my kit is like done at this point. I wouldn't call it dialed in, but I think I'm done because I don't know what else I can add to it. Um, everybody asked me about the mic, which I, you know, if you're into mics, you probably all recognize the sure SM7B from podcasts from Joe Rogan. Uh, and uh, this goes into an audio interface uh, called a PreSonus IO24, which is like relatively new. It's a smaller one. PreSonus does really big high-end gear. And this is kind of like a, a nice one that can just sit on your desktop. Um, and I use that for the audio delay. Actually, this this goes into something called a cloud lifter. Um, these mics are not powered. And so right. it um, uses a cloud lifter to give it a bit of boost. And then that goes into uh, my, uh, it goes XLR from there into the cloud lifter, cloud lifter XLR into the, the pre-Sonos. And then it gets uh, its uh, additional gain from there. But it also gets an audio delay from there. I have an ATEM Mini. An ATEM Mini uh, for my HDMI switcher, it has audio delay in it, but I was having some issues with my ATEM Mini uh, in that it was, I think it was overheating and actually shutting down uh, randomly. And so I couldn't trust it anymore. And so I actually, um, that's, I went down this path of, of trying to get off of there and, and ended up with this uh, audio interface. Uh, instead, I actually had a different one that didn't have an audio delay. And I should back up for every, anybody who's listening right now and wondering why this guy keeps talking about audio delay. It's because um, people will find out if you were to get into more of a higher end camera, um, audio signals reach your computer faster than a video signal will. And so you need to compensate for that with a, a bit of delay. A10 Mini has an audio delay uh, function in it. So I could actually plug... Uh, this mic kind of threw an XLR output into a three and a half mil jack on the back and then take advantage of the audio delay. However, because of unreliability, unreliability to the point where I had to RMA the thing and um, had to pay uh, shipping and stuff like that. I'm I'm used to like IT products or enterprise IT products where it's that's like, right. oh, that's all part of your warranty, man. You you know, you will send you way bills, we'll send you boxes and everything goes. A10 Mini is like, yeah, just send it to this dress. 
like, okay, are you going to send me anything? Nope. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. Make sure you fill out the custom form, right? <laughs> yeah. Fill out the custom forms. Make sure you put in your own padding into the box and, and, uh, you know, we'll get, we'll get you a replacement. So, so anyways, I, I, uh, I still like my ATEM mini, but I didn't like the, the unreliability of it. Um, my ATEM mini has a USB-C out for webcam input, but I actually use the HDMI out and go into a cam link 4k, uh, just because I find that the color depth, uh, is a little bit reduced. It's compressed over the, the, oh, uh, webcam out. And so if you go, it's uncompressed. If you go out the HDMI out into a cam link. So I do that. Um, so I have four inputs on there. I have this camera. I had a, a B cam uh, set up before when I would actually do like overhead shots. If I was whiteboarding for a customer, I don't really do that so much anymore. So I don't have that connected anymore. Um, and then I have my laptop has a HDMI out that goes into another input on there. And then I have a Raspberry Pi and it's not configured right now, but I had a Raspberry Pi that could actually play preloaded videos uh, on there. And so some of the streams I was playing with this, like adding in stuff um, through switching of the ATEM and kind of I could do overlays or I could just take over the video altogether. I don't I don't do it so much anymore because it requires like setting uh, everything up. Um, I should also say, I'll get into my camera for a second. I should also say, I, I didn't know any of this. I learned all of this uh, from two people, uh, Robin and Eric, who I work with at F5, who are, who are gear nerds um, far more than I am. And they got me started on this uh, path and then kind of Got me started, and then they're like, "Okay, you're you're on your own now." And then I went and did all this other. <laughs> it's like giving the kid his now, first but... cigarette and just saying, "Here you go. By the way, you're gonna feel weird tomorrow morning, but here's a place yeah. where you can buy more." <laughs> first, first one's free, and then they've they've unleashed this uh, this whole thing on me. Um, so, getting to my camera, I have an, a Sony A6400, and um, that's on a, um, a 16 millimeter Sigma prime lens it's a 1.4 prime lens on there um i have two cameras actually i have an a6600 sony a6600 as well uh, with a few different lenses and then i have a teleprompter with a seven inch field monitor hooked up to it and so right now the reason why i look into the um uh, camera is because i have the screen for you actually have right the now, output doubled over ah. there Nice. So I'm actually looking at myself and you both on the same uh, screen on here. Oh, man, you know what? You just wrecked my weekend, dude, because now I got to go get, set this <laughs> kit up because I, I, I have the opposite. I have the problem where I've got literally the laptop is sitting underneath my camera because of, yeah, like I used the field monitor and that was pretty good. And I've got a small prompter, but then yeah. I, the problem was it wouldn't get the output. So I needed the whole screen and I was like, Ah, now I know you've given me my my solution for this, which is awesome. Thank yeah, you, you can grab a field monitor. I would not recommend the one that I have, so I'm not going to name it because I actually <laughs> got um, I got burning from it. So it's on all day, and um, I've got like uh, ghosting on the image, unfortunately. So was, I'm kind of disappointed. I, I don't know. I'll I'll get another one eventually. It's it's okay for for doing this, but I was kind of disappointed that it that it did that on me. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got a big video light. Sorry, go ahead. 
Yes, yeah, I, I was going to check now. Now your lighting is really, really nicely done. Uh, so what's your what's Thanks. your lighting setup? Yeah, I have a the video light is a Godox SL60. So it's not a super powerful light, but um, like it's almost on full blast at, right now. Uh, but it's good enough for for this setting. Uh, I've got a huge 48 inch dome attached to it. So that would be it's like the sun basically hitting me. Uh, <laughs> it spreads the light out. So that's why it's kind of big and soft. Um, I've played with different sizes, but uh, um, bigger, bigger is better, bigger, closer, um, but softer is better. Yeah. Um, and then I've got a couple, uh, couple LED panels uh, back there. They have soft boxes on them as well. So it's not like harsh light hitting uh, the walls. And then I actually turn off my uh, lights in my office. I have overhead lights, but I, I actually turn that off because then it throws everything off. And and I actually kind of just like this moodier. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, and it's yeah. funny. I should double check because we're going into, I'm going into overtime with you. Hopefully you're okay to keep going yeah. because I, I did want to yep. give this to show you the example of my, so that's, that's my backlighting that I've got is from these GVM. It's like a 560 or 540 or whatever. It's like a, the if you yep. go on to you know Amazon and you say you know buy me LED lighting that's what you get and I've got one over top of me which is it is a pretty hard harsh light that is coming down and that's what I was thinking about is like soft boxing something because for the for the backlight it's one thing because it's not in the frame but this one it's like it really does you know shine a bit bright it's not too bad. I can fix yeah, some stuff in post, good. but uh, yeah, we're, I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> and then the other one, of course, yeah. is the the fun part is like when you take out. It's amazing what a difference is once you actually take out the the backlights. Uh -huh. It's like surprising, just like little tiny things of putting the neon and how much it can change the the way the background looks. I've always been surprised by. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there. You experiment and you get your space set up. But, you know, once you dial it in and once you like know it's consistent, I practically can put like gaffer tape down and I know where my tripod's got to get set up. I've got uh -huh. a, I've got a, it's a standing desk, but I don't, I've got a drafting chair for it. So okay. this way I can, you know, stand if I want to, but it generally, I'm sitting more than I'm standing these days. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, when you, when you talk about the little details, it's funny how, when you start working on this, like I didn't notice any of those details and, and I'm like, why would, you know, people add these little bits and pieces here? I don't notice it whatsoever. And then you start yeah. doing it and then you're like, oh, you know what? A little, little light back there could actually, could actually help out and a little splash of color. You know, I don't have, um, anything in the, in the background there because I just, I'm, um, um, paralyzed by, uh, analysis by paralysis like i keep thinking about oh what do i want it to look like back there and i i have thought about it for months and still haven't decided on anything. i don't want to commit <laughs> to anything and so it's still kind of blank back there but yeah all these little things that you don't really think about until uh, you start doing it i remember seeing somebody they did a breakdown and i forget who it was and like uh, so great folks to watch for this peter mckinnon obviously maddie happy uh uh teppo his brother his twin brother which is hard make sure you you have to look at the channel to figure out which one you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, although 
Maddie sounds Canadian. Teppo sounds Finnish. You can definitely tell that Maddie's been in Canada for a long time. Um, and as you said, Lizzie Pierce, she's also really, really solid on tips. But I saw somebody and they talked about their background and they're like, I like the natural light look, but I also don't like the inconsistency of natural light. So I said, so that the window reflection that you see back there and you see like a four, like the frame of a window, it's, he says, just a second. And he turns it off. And it's an LED light with a fake window frame in front of it to put it on the wall as if it was window light. And I was like, you magnificent bastard. I would, <laughs> it looked like you're in a beautifully lit room, but then you know it's exactly the same every time of all times of day, which is kind of stuff again well, you don't think about it until you're doing then, it and you're like, oh natural light sucks <laughs> and then and then it's like 1 a.m and you're like how did i get to the point in my life where i've spent four hours watching videos on lighting <laughs> here we are <laughs> oh amen to that but it's good and so like i said it, as far as what's possible i always tell people like and you said it before right i look back at my first stuff and i'm like ooh, you almost think like maybe i should take it down but you're like nah you know i look at YouTubers, you know, filmmakers, you still have their old stuff up there, right? You know, you see, you know, Mr. Beast in his bedroom on a iPhone yeah. four counting, saying PewDiePie a hundred thousand times. Like he doesn't take that down because he's going to do 26 million views on his next video. It's like, it's part of what got you here. Uh, so I, you know, I don't, I'm not aiming for 26 million views. I'd be happy if I got 2,600 consistent views and every, you know, like, but <laughs> it's part of the learning process and I kind of respect people that leave it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's paying respect to the process. I, I would say, um, you know, people, uh, you hate to, it's almost like lying to people, you know, you, nobody ever, well, not a lot of people ever started amazing right away. Uh, you know, maybe some folks that went to school or something, and then the first thing that they published was a project that they they worked really hard on. Maybe that was really good. But outside of that scenario, you know, everybody went through this journey, so it'd be it'd be um, disingenuous to to not show a, a journey to to other folks as well. Like the, I'm, I'm sure everybody just respects that you put the time in, and and uh, if they want to do the same, then they could just follow the journey as well, and they can yeah. you know, see all the little improvements you made every video. Yeah, I once in a while somebody will ask me, they're like, how do you get that really cool, like slightly like out of focus virtual background? I said, easy, a $3,000 camera and a real background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend the, this as the path soft, to do it. <laughs> yeah, but they're like, software could do it. And you're like, but it's, it's a little different. So spend the, spend the $3,000. Yeah, but I still, so like, and I mean, how jv am i like i still make the mistake i'll have so many ones where i'm like oh you like you'll do a video and you're like this and you're like dang it you know like scrap yeah. that one you know especially with manual focus i've got there's no leeway and i've done them where i'm like oh like so i've got focus assist on my field monitor but i still have to literally like there there is an autofocus on the software so if i tap a button okay it'll find it but it's not continuous autofocus mm -hmm. uh and and sometimes if because the background's pretty full, probably more than it should be, it sometimes grabs another thing and all of a sudden it, you know, puts me in front of it instead of being the the focal point. So I'll I'll make mistakes like that. But I don't mind. You know, it's uh, you know, and I thank people like you and and a lot of other 
folks that jump in they're like hey this is really cool and and like really good constructive thing you know like advice on how to do stuff and we all learn from each other i i guess that kind of brings us back around to talking about community like it's just you know people yeah. are genuinely interested in helping out other people and as long as you figure out ways to gather those people together um you, you get great things out of it well and in the end boo what what really does button this up perfectly is that many years later here we are yeah. a completely different origin for both of us and we will do this again right and because i i believe in you i trust you and wherever your whatever your email address happens to be i i know that your integrity carries to wherever you go right and and this learning process and this community it transcends the the vendor names and that's because and also just even inside a vendor technology evolves right i was a vmware guy for a long time and but i was before that i was the microsoft powershell guy and then i was the openstack guy and then i was the cloud oh, guy and now i'm the kubernetes guy i'm like i'm the same guy <laughs> sorry it, to hear about the openstack uh stint that you did yeah well <laughs> it was like a like an emo phase you know we all uh, <laughs> we all did that uh but it was it, it it is proof that in this industry we all find each other again and and the fun part is you see the genuineness in what people do and what they bring to it and you know so i will have obviously links to to your channel and people should connect with you on linkedin and 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 see the really really great content you create it's been an honor to to be on this side of the camera and like i said now i gotta go amazon out i gotta get a new i gotta get some my field monitor uh teleprompter cheat this is this is fantastic <laughs> how did i not think of that before <laughs> well i appreciate you having me on it, it for me it's an honor to be on here and um i appreciate all the free content that you put out there that helps the community as well like hopefully these conversations Hopefully mine provides some value to, to folks, but it wouldn't be done, wouldn't be possible without a, a platform like yours to, to share it on. So I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And for folks, if they do want to get connected with you, I guess I said LinkedIn. And what's the best way if folks wanted to, to track you down, Boo? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great one. I I think I'm the one with the most amount of followers uh, under the name Boo Lamb. But if there is another Boo Lamb out there that has more followers than me on LinkedIn, then then I'm coming for them. Um, otherwise you can reach me on Twitter, which is at Boolam, and then over on the Dev Central community, which is now called community.f5.com. It used to be devcentral.f5.com, but we've renamed it to community to kind of help uh reflect uh what it really is. Um so yeah, between those three, or if you Google me, I'm pretty sure I, I'm one of the top uh search results on there. So no matter what, you should be able to find me. You know, the funny thing is, I, I was about a year ago, I think I was going through and I found a bunch of old business cards because I I finally had moved all the rest of my gear from Toronto down to New Jersey. And I had this old school and it's like my Microsoft contacts from when I was at Sun Life. Like it was like all this stuff goes way back. And I had your business card in my oh, list awesome. of business cards. So there's like a handful of people I was like. Here's somebody that down someday down the road, this dude's smart. I'm going to have to learn from him, you know, and <laughs> it, it is funny that it, it, we do end up reconnecting through different ways, but uh, it's, it's really cool to see that. And uh, yeah, man, we're, you're doing neat stuff. So there you go. 
get involved in the community. This is this is where the fun is. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks, Boo. Thank you. All right, let me stop my recording.